I'm Cheryl Broom, CEO of Graduate Communications. The Higher Education Coffee and Conversation podcast is dedicated to exploring issues of importance to staff and faculty who work at community colleges and universities. This month, I spoke to my friend and colleague, Danielle Ramirez, who is the Director of Public Relations and Marketing at South Texas College. Daniel has an enviable marketing department that he operates like an agency, which leaves him the time to do amazing work around data analysis and predictive analytics. This past year, he finished a massive research project around adult learners and what attracts them to community colleges and services that can keep them retained and engaged. Daniel shares the results of this research project and also talks about why so many college marketers have missed the mark when recruiting adult learners, how we can make better informed decisions when it comes to recruiting the non-traditional student, how to use social media and other digital tools to keep older students engaged, and the types of data-driven research that institutions should be doing right now. This is one conversation you don't want to miss, and I'm sure you're going to learn just as much as I did. Enjoy. Well, I am ready to get started if you're ready to get started. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, it's always great to talk to you, Daniel. It's always good to catch up. But I was particularly excited to learn about your capstone project and all the amazing work that you've been doing to raise awareness of your institution for adult learners in your region and thought, wow, what an amazing uh, capstone project for you to have done that I think will help a lot of other marketers kind of rethink the way they approach communicating to and the, the tactics and techniques they use uh, when trying to reach adult learners. So I got the great opportunity to read your capstone. So thank you for sending that to me and congratulations on graduating. Thank you. Thank you. Whenever I talk to anybody about you, I always brag that you went to MIT. <laughs> Lifetime ago, it seems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell, let's start off. Tell me a little bit about, about your capstone work um, and also refers to and deals with South Texas College. So tell me about the college that you work for and, and your role as well. My name is Daniel Ramirez. I'm the Director of Public Relations and Marketing at South Texas College. So we're a community college in deep down South Texas, uh, serve about 30,000 students every, every semester. We offer certificates, associates, and, and, and also five bachelor degrees as well. So uh, really, a, a, we're relatively young, you know, a little bit over 27 years. But in that time frame, we've really turned this area and, 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 and tried to turn around education, especially higher education, and create a college-going culture for the region. Our department is pretty much a, a full in-house agency. You know, we do work with an agency of record and, and other agencies as, as projects to rise. But, you know, we provide marketing, PR, video, social media, web services for the entire institution. Uh, I've been at the institution over 18 years, been a director for over eight years. It was, it was funny. It was my son, my oldest son graduating from college that finally got me off my butt to, to, to pursue a master's. I always knew I wanted to. It's just, um, you know, it was really focused on them and their needs and getting them through school and, you know, seeing him graduate and then move on to law school. 
you know, I finally said, you know what, now's the time. So, you know, a little over a year ago, you know, I had been exploring programs for some time, but, you know, settled on a program at Arkansas State University. Uh, they had a master's of science in uh, digital and social media management. So really, uh, it's a communication degree with a lot of the focus on the elements that I was using already, uh, digital marketing, media buying, audience understanding, uh, research, integrated marketing, communication. So a lot of the stuff that I had been working with and had learned over the years, uh, actually putting it together in a formal program. <laughs> and, and so as you mentioned, a big part of the research that I was working on was stuff that I was directly working on at the college, which is adult learners. Um, and that's something that I've been really passionate about for many, many years, because not a lot of people know, but I was an adult learner, not only in my master's program, but with the college, you know, kind of moved over from the quote-unquote traditional student to starting a family, getting married, and now sort of balancing life, work, family, and of course school just to try to finish my bachelor's. And so sort of walking in that path and seeing how things changed, it was always something that, you know, especially once I settled in the higher ed realm, was really just passionate about trying to help support others who might find themselves in, in similar situations like myself to, to kind of show that you can do it and how can we as an institution do a better job of not only creating awareness and marketing, but also supporting them from um, application all the way through graduation and beyond. For adult learners, I mean, you defined adult learners, and I think most institutions define them uh, as non-traditional age students who are 25 years or older. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed the beginning of your capstone project in which you kind of set the stage for the importance of this research where you're justifying why colleges need to pay more attention to how they market to this population, because in fact, they make up more than a quarter of the nation's undergraduate student population. And yet it seems that most universities focus their messages and their tactics um, almost exclusively on recruiting students right out of high school and tend to overlook um, this large segment of student population. And I was wondering if you had any idea like why you think that is. Um, why do we why do we tend to kind of ignore them, these students? You know, I, I think a large part of it is because that's the way it's always been. I mean, for the most part, if you look at the, the the pool or the applicant pool, I mean, you had high school students, I mean, it, it was sort of this never ending and sort of constantly growing pool of prospective students. Uh, it's kind of like if you're going to go fishing, you go to where all the fish are. <laughs> For the most part, higher education has been fortunate that that the the higher the high school age student populations have continued to grow over the years. Recently, you've started to see this decline in a lot of areas where there aren't as many high school students out there as there once were. Um, you know that isn't necessarily our case where South Texas College is. I mean, we're still fortunate that we have a a large pool of of, of that prospective student uh, segment, but in other parts of the country, not so much. So you start seeing these colleges that are faced with the decision of, we need to attract more students, 
We've spent years developing awareness and brand and marketing and support services aimed at this group. And, and it, it's a bit overwhelming to try to say we need to shift. So they start sort of extending their reach into other, you know, counties or regions or states. Uh, but as you have more and more colleges doing similar or taking similar approaches, you're eventually getting to a point where uh, there aren't as many, you know, fish in the sea to kind of use that fishing analogy. You know, one of the things, and I don't think I mentioned this in my capstone, but the uh, Western Interstate Commission for Higher Education, um, WICHI, they do a a, a report called Knocking on the the College Door, and that's just knocking.wichi.edu, and it has projections of U.S. high school graduates through 2037. And so they just released their recent report this this December, and it really kind of shows the decline in this high school population. And you can filter and segment this by region and by state. So you can really see that while the numbers are still high, they're declining. And, And I think it's forcing a lot of schools who have relied on this you know, sort of long held pattern of targeting these students to really rethink who their audience is going to be. I'm not saying it's going to go away. You're always going to have high school students. They're always going to be sort of, you know, your bigger pond. But with that declining, you're going to have to explore other audience segments. And as you mentioned, with the uh, the non-traditional students making up over a quarter uh, of the nation's undergraduate student population, it only makes sense to, to kind of look at that segment because there's a handful, uh, more than a handful of these students out there that, that know they need to come back to school, that are, that are driven to return to school and maybe just don't feel like they have the confidence or the support necessary uh, to get in and, and to be successful. Yeah, I remember reading some research last year about high school, the high school population, which is particularly declining in, in large urban areas. Uh, where I am on the West Coast. And part of it is that people just like stop making babies for a while yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, during the during the recession in the 2000s. We were like, yeah, I think we're not going to have kids. And now we're starting to feel that in our colleges because the high school population has declined. And I think that you're right. You know, I, I think your department is such a testament to what can be done when you actually have a fully staffed communications department because you are able to do um, segmentation and data analysis in a way that a lot of college marketers just dream about doing. Um, you're able to pay attention to that and in your own institution, see some trends that others might miss if, because they don't have the time to dig into the data. And I think a, a, a big part of that, and it's taken us years to get there, it really has, and there's still struggles that we have, but you know, it's really about bridging the gap between marketing and students services. So that way they they understand where we're coming from, we're understanding where they're coming from, and nobody feels like we're trying to step on each other's toes. You know, we really make a a conscientious effort to, to kind of talk about these things, have the discussions, debate openly about what we think will work and why it will, and then ultimately, you know, have the confidence to say, you know what, you've made your case, I understand where you're coming from, now let's commit to moving forward in that direction. So that way, it never seems like we're, you know, while we may not agree with it, we understand and we realize it's in the best interest. And so we have to then send that message to our teams. So they don't feel like, we're just doing this because we're being told to do it. But yeah, you know, having that team size certainly helps. Uh, it gives me the ability to to take some time to really look at that data uh, and not have to worry so much about 
some of the day-to-day uh, tasks that other parts of my staff do. But you know, even if you have a smaller team, there's still ways where you can, you know, take some time to look at the data that that you feel is going to help you. And just trying to stay on top of the research and and these reports that come out there, you know, will give you some insights and some ideas and how you might be able to, uh, as they say, it sort of lights the fire and under you to to explore more and want to try to figure out how you can maybe start making some of these changes at, at, at your institution. And you have a, a pretty advanced marketing program. I mean, you're able to have distinct messages for different target populations. And I really liked that portion of your of your capstone. And I, I want to ask you a lot about the tactics that you explored, because you did a lot of research around what adult learners are listening to and reading and how they're using social media. But be, before we get into those tactics, I really liked the interviews that you did with some of your students in which you asked them why, what brought them back to college. And there were so many different reasons. And one, I think it was a one of the women you interviewed reminded me of what you said in the beginning about seeing your son get his uh, college degree and thinking, okay, it's now time for me. And one of the women you interviewed had said that she wanted to make her children proud, that that was really important to her. You know, it wasn't just about making more money, but it was setting an example. And there were so many interesting stories um, that you uncovered in your research. And I was wondering how that impacted you and the way that you look at at your marketing, at your institution. And it's, it's funny you bring that up because a lot of times, you know, when we have these larger conversations, not only with our marketing team, but with, with college administration and executives, you sometimes tend to, you know, have your blinders on. You think that people come to college to make more money. They come to college to get better jobs. And and while that is always going to be a factor, you know, they hope for that. I think what these interviews really uncovered was that, as you mentioned, there's a lot of students that their that their decision to return or to continue uh, is is very personal to them. For those with families, a lot of them felt that you know they were getting to a point with their kids where they were starting to have the conversations about the importance of education. And it, they almost felt hypocritical saying, you have to go to college, it's important, yet they themselves hadn't finished or didn't have that degree. And so there was this desire to be that role model, to say, you know what, this is important, it's important to me, and I want you to see that it's important to me. Uh, but it's also, I want you to understand that while this may be difficult, if I can do it with the family, you can certainly do it when it's just you by yourself, you know, so really trying to be a positive role model to their kids uh, and to their families to show them that that they were able to do this. So that way, when they have those conversations, it's not just, you know, do what I say and not what I do. Uh, it, it's really about sort of showing them that they themselves value what it is they're telling you to do. And so that was really interesting, because like you said, a lot of times we think, you know, it's all about the money. It's all about the jobs. Uh, some previous research that I had done, it was focused on, on, on I, I'd, I'd done a lot of research or interviews with uh, adult border patrol agents, um, males, and, and their reasons for continuing was because they were very driven by, by goals. They had set a goal at one point in their life to complete a degree. And though they were making 
more money than I was making in their current occupation, and they were happy and they were fulfilled with life, they felt this, they still felt that something was missing, that, that, that commitment and that promise that they made to themselves to finish an education. And that's what was driving them. I love doing these interviews because it really shows that the reasons why people decide pursue, continue uh, an education are really personal. And, and those are important for us because it can help us craft better messaging. It, it isn't just about, you know, the low cost, the quality education. They know those things. It, it's something more personal, something more deep within them. And if we can highlight similar stories or similar uh, messages to them, then that can hopefully inspire them to to look closer at us uh, and feel that we're the right choice as they decide to, you know, sort of attain that that education that they've wanted for so long. When you said earlier that marketers tend to, you know, you do the same thing over and over again in terms of the high school audience, because that's the way you've always marketed. And maybe the way that people have always marketed is to talk about cost and how much money you can earn from a degree, which is really important. But it is also just as important to talk about those aspirational goals that students have, in particular adults, adult students, because they're giving up a lot. I tell this to college presidents um, all the time when they when they want to put more money into marketing and they kind of think of marketing as this like transactional uh, occurrence, like buying a car, like you're going to see an ad for a really cool college. You're going to go visit it and then you're going to sign up you know, like you would a car, like I saw the Subaru, I'm going to go buy it. Like I'm going to get a loan. I'm going to go buy it. And it's not, you're not buying a car you're, or even a house. You're, you're investing time and energy. And for a lot of these adult learners, for most of them, they're working and they have families. So they're giving up a lot to go to your institution. So there has to be something that really is motivating them. And a lot of times it's not, saving money. It's something deeper. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and and, and I'm glad you brought up that uh, the, the, the transactional aspect that, that a lot of people look at with marketing. I often tell our board that we're not selling a $5 pizza here. You know, this isn't <laughs> something that, that somebody can just dig into their pocket and say, I'm going to go and get that because I don't want to cook dinner. Uh, you know, it's true. I mean, there is a lot of sacrifice. There is a lot of giving up. There's a lot of things that they will lose moments with their family, friends, loved ones. Um, but they realize that they're doing this not only for their own, you know, improvement and their own betterment, but but for that of their family. And 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 that's something that that can't be overlooked. And and that's why I think it's so important to you know, to talk to these students um, and have these opportunities to listen and learn for them because it, it, it's really about their desires, their interests, their goals. I mean, that's going to help you really determine the language you're going to use when you're marketing to them and how to reach them. So it's not as, it's, it's important to understand why they're coming back, but it's equally as important to understand why they left. Because, you know, I, I, I sometimes look back at that and say, you know, if somebody left because of child care costs, does our institution offer an opportunity that could have helped them earlier on? 
where instead of leaving college, we could have intervened earlier and maybe supported them better. And so, you know, always trying to improve on your messaging, but also taking a, a step back to say, well, what services do we have that maybe they weren't aware about? What opportunities did we have to, to sort of intervene uh, you know, we have all these intervention services when students are doing poorly in, in class, but, you know, there should also be those intervention services for life. You know, if students are struggling with family, childcare, different sorts of things, are there things that the college can do to support them? Uh, so that way they don't stop their journey, or maybe they take a step back and only take one class instead of four, you know, so that way they keep going and they're, they're, they're still seeing small successes, because in a way, it isn't just about that graduation. You know, they know that that's the end goal, but sometimes that's many years down the road. So you want to give them hope and sort of these small wins that keep driving them towards the bigger goal at the end. That was, you know, a great part of your research, too, was recommendations on how to remove some of those barriers uh, for students. But before I dive into that, what you said, I think is so important in knowing and understanding what might have made students drop out when they were younger. And I think that a lot of institutions would really benefit from doing research around their stopout population and asking them, asking these students, um, why did you leave? What could we have done better? How could we have better supported you? And I've done um, research for different institutions around this, and it's really insightful to talk to former students and to really understand what barriers and challenges they were up against. And it can inform the type of student services that you offer to older students and can help your current students be more successful. So I think that's really insightful and a, and a great thing to invest in this new year is uh, as asking your stopouts, why did you leave? What could we have done better? Absolutely, absolutely. And because sometimes you'll find that you're, you're always going to find those that, that, are, that aren't prepared or the, that life happens. But, but sometimes it could just be that, uh, you know, customer service, they were having problems and they, they, nobody would pick up the phone or somebody wouldn't respond to their email. Things that you think are so minimal that don't impact, but it's that pebble that has that sort of resonating effect uh, on, on those students. Um, you know, this was one of the these things where I was talking with one of our students and he was mentioning that he had a call later on that afternoon and it was just a call with, with somebody from the college who was going to walk him through the application process. And he said that like, he was so excited to have somebody reach out to him and say that they would speak to him. And, and you could tell that that was one of those defining moments that if that person doesn't call, you could tell that he was going to be defeated and, and deflated and that could impact how he proceeded because that was what he needed. That was sort of the nudge, the help, the support, the reassurance that was going to take him to that next step. And you you think, how could that be that one thing? But it, it, it meant the world to him because that's what he needed to, to be comfortable to continue in his journey. So I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons why we're currently doing stop out research right now. Um, 
um, I, I generally will try to 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 allocate about ten percent of my budget to research, because it's important even before the pandemic to understand you know whether it's media consumptions, uh, stopouts, uh, brand attributes. You want to make sure that you're 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 constantly keeping a pulse to what's going on out there, because as you mentioned, it's going to help you make more informed decisions, not only for marketing but just for the institution. Um, I mean, the pandemic's a perfect example of that. You know, we were doing geofencing uh, up until the pandemic hit, and then we stopped that. And if we would have continued on that track, I mean, how much money would we have been spending to try to reach audiences that weren't in those places anymore because of shutdowns or, you know, school closures and going into online? So, you know, you really have to realize that the research is an investment. It's about understanding. And if you can continue that research year after year, you're just going to be able to to get a better uh, sort of line of insights into where your students, you know, what they're doing, where they're moving towards, what kind of media they're consuming. Uh, and, and, and that's beneficial to, to me as a marketer. And your story reminds me of, of a similar situation that I had with the when I was student teaching at Cal State Chico, when I was getting my master's degree, it was right when Rate My Professor came out. And uh, I remember going on to my my professors, Rate My Professor, so the uh, professor who was supervising my student teaching, and I wanted to see what students had said about him. And one student had written that she had missed maybe two classes in a row and that he had reached out and emailed her to make sure that everything was okay. And what an impact that had made it actually made it so that she decided to stay in school because she'd been thinking about dropping out. So this one email to a, a student who was thinking of dropping out from a professor changed the trajectory of her education. And I think that personal connection with the institution is paramount in getting some students to stay, especially adult learners who need some extra support. So I, that story that you told really resonated with me because that stuck with me my whole career is, yeah. you know, you can spend all this money and all this time getting people to see your ads, but if you don't treat them as human beings with challenges and treat them with respect and compassion, then you're going to lose them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a couple of years ago, we had done some secret shopper research um, because, you know, we wanted to understand, you know, I always look at our marketing as we're making a promise. You know, our, our current brand is experience exceptional. Uh, and, and that isn't just exceptional education, exceptional faculty, but it's exceptional in every touch point you have with the institution, whether it's somebody picking up the phone, responding to an email, or even how we have our parking lot organized. And one of the things we found from that is that you know, especially with adult learners, if they're working full time, coming to the campus isn't easy. So imagine that a, an adult learner finally has some time to make it to campus one day at lunch, drives, and then the, the, the visitor parking is filled because students are parking in there instead of buying a permit. And so now they're driving around trying to find parking. And then when they finally do, they don't know where to go because either maps aren't set up or instructions weren't given to them. And so that whole experience right there, even though they're not directly interacting with somebody from the institution, it's still an interaction with the institution. And, and, and things like that 
parking isn't under markings oversight, but if we can provide that insight to the institution to reevaluate, you know, things like parking to make it closer to where they need to be, maybe to monitor it a bit better so students aren't abusing it and taking away spots from those that might need it in those times, or even something as simple as saying, we've confirmed your appointment, here's a map on how to find us in an email, you know, little things like that can go a long way to removing the friction in these processes because it doesn't take a lot to really take somebody who's already you know maybe not as confident or discouraged or hesitant about returning to to college so like i said a lot of different things that research and insights can provide and that's why with marketing i always look at it as i'm doing marketing to help me but i'm really trying to do it to help understand and support the college as a whole because there's a lot of insights that you know can be applied outside of marketing and help support the student journey yeah, you're and you're really lucky that your institution gives you the the authority and the permission to be able to take these deep dives and and to make these recommendations because you know sometimes there are institutions that are working in, in silos and yeah. to have the you know, director of communications uh, kind of doing some research into different areas might ruffle some feathers. Yeah. So I think it's a testament to how well your college works together and the respect that they have for your department. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So I actually remember once doing a research project, um, a secret shopper research project, and the researcher who I was working with came on campus and could not find out how to get the parking um, permit machine to work. So he just decided to run inside and get what he needed for the research project. And he got a ticket. Uh, and it was, he was like, I got a ticket. I've been doing this for 10 years. And this is the first time I can't believe they gave me a ticket. I was inside for five minutes. Um, and so it was fun presenting that project to the president where it was like, well, you don't have visitors parking. And the permit machine was not working. And he was only on campus for five minutes to get a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's talk about how that impacts, you know, people who are looking to come to your campus for more information. So yeah, secret shopping is a lot of it's a lot of fun. And it covers it, it's just a snapshot in time, right? Because you can uncover somebody having a really bad day that treats you poorly as a secret shopper. Um, and so it's a snapshot, but then if they treated an actual potential student poorly, then that impacts that student's lifelong perception of your college. So Absolutely. every interaction is so important. So I, I noticed in your capstone work that you, uh, and since we're on this kind of thread of like supporting current students, and then we'll get back a little bit about talk about recruitment. But I noticed you had some recommendations about using social media to build community with adult learners. Uh, and I found that really interesting and, and thought, you know, especially during COVID and, and the pandemic we're in, that some of your recommendations were very timely. Um, so I'm wondering if you could kind of cover some of what you what you recommend that colleges do to keep those adult learners engaged with the, the college community. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that, that, that came out through this is that, as I mentioned, sometimes adult learners really just need a little bit of a confidence boost. They need somebody to reassure them, somebody to kind of provide some guidance and, and, and just kind of make sure that they're on the right track. And it doesn't have to be somebody from the institution. It can be a current student. It can also be an existing 
perspective student as well. And, and so, you know, in talking with them about sort of the options and opportunities that existed out there, uh, there was a large group of, of those that, that, that I interviewed that really took to this idea of leveraging things like Facebook groups as an opportunity to connect with others. And, and it wasn't only just because of the pandemic. Uh, certainly that's, that's more highlighted now uh, because that seems to be the way a lot of us have moved over the past couple of months. But, you know, it's really when uh, somebody needs help with, you know, a question on the application process. Or who do they call to to touch base on financial aid? Or, you know, what is open admissions, and does that mean I'm accepted by just submitting? So, they're looking for answers to some simple questions that maybe aren't found directly on the web, or maybe hidden on the web. And and by turning to others who have maybe been through the situation or, or had similar questions, or even those on the journey themselves, you know, that's something that that I think a lot of colleges overlook. Uh, especially with the adult learners, uh, you know, I have, like I said, uh, uh, one of my one of my sons is a freshman, and he's got his own Facebook group for Rice University. My daughter's a senior in high school, and all of these colleges are talking about connecting through their online groups, but. You know, you don't really see that as much with the adult learner. Groups are opportunities where they can connect with with similar uh, similar students such as as them. So, I, you know, a lot of them were open to this idea and, and, and felt that it would be an opportunity to remove some of those confidence barriers that they have to help them feel like they're making progress without having to send emails or take calls or, or, or leave messages and play phone tag. It's just a way for them to connect, but also feel like they're sort of realizing that there are other students like themselves. Because I think that's one of the biggest fears that they have is that they're going to be the oldest student in the classroom, that they're going to be the only older student on campus uh, walking around and, and that they're going to be in a sea of younger students who are, you know, who, who they sometimes perceive to be better equipped to be successful. So having these opportunities is great for them. Um, they also expressed um, things like chats where, where they could get some questions answered relatively quickly without having to wait. I, I think that was the biggest thing is there, there's frustration when they send an email uh, or, or try to, to schedule a call because you have to remember, like, as you mentioned, an adult learner has other commitments. They're working, they have family. They may not be able to get to this until nine, 10 or later at night. And so the idea of calling somebody at nine at night, college isn't open sending an email at two in the morning, nobody's going to be there to respond. And by the time that person gets into the office, that email is going to be hidden under, you know, a pile of other emails that have come in afterwards. So uh, things like automated chatbots that can provide some quick and easy answers to a lot of common questions, you know, are things that, that students are open to, to utilizing. And I think social provides a great place to do that because they're there, they can get things answered. And if they can't answer, then it's routed to somebody that will, you know, be flagged to, to reach back out to them. Um, one recommendation that I thought would be better received was this idea of pre-recorded video like webinars. Um, and while they liked the idea, I think for them, it, because it didn't have the interactivity, it was just them listening and watching and not able, and if it had you know, the information that they were looking for, that's great. But in a lot of cases, they don't have the time to sit through 
you know, 45 minutes to get two minutes of, of their of their questions answered. And so, you know, those are things where, you know, I certainly thought that they would be more open to 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 get behind, but they really liked the idea of more of the live sessions because then it would give them a chance to jump in, get a question answered, and jump out and get onto the, whatever else they need to do. So I think those are things that 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 colleges can be more mindful of creating these opportunities. But furthermore, using paid advertising to further market them. You know, so it's not just about saying here's our social media ad, but maybe take some of your ad buy and actually promote those efforts and those initiatives to these students. So that way it's not just seeing a commercial or seeing a graphical ad, but it's actually knowing that there's something coming up that they can sign up for and schedule into their into their calendars. So that way they can, you know, once again, manage their time uh, more effectively and get the things they need answered. You know, you give them advance notice and they'll do their best to be there. And I think that's one way where you can use that paid and these online services to, to really uh, complement one another. We see research that shows that students and cohorts tend to perform better or stay more engaged um, with their education. And so there's no reason not to assume that approaching, you know, adult learners as kind of a cohort would also be successful and, and particularly giving them opportunities to, you know, join a Facebook group or um, serve them in some other way where they can connect with one another and also connect with the institution would really help, you know, keep them in the institution and, and help with your retention efforts. Yeah, for sure. It actually, I I taught at a college for years and I'll never forget, this is totally off topic, Daniel, but as you're talking, this popped in my head. I had the most interesting class one semester. I had a 15 year old student. Uh, I taught, I always taught evening classes, um, six to nine 20. It was a very long class Wednesday night. And I had a 15 year old student and then I had a man in his 60s. So very big group, um, a a diverse group of students. I had a couple of active active duty Marines, a veteran. Uh, I had a mom of four kids in that same class. So just this amazing class. And a lot of the, the students had said what you had said earlier was that they were kind of fearful of being of being the oldest student. And, and it was such a diverse group, but one of the youngest, it was a persuasion class. And one of the youngest students decided to do his uh, persuasive speech on restricting uh, driver's licenses for the elderly. So he wanted to um, take away the elderly's, you know, ability to drive. And we always would give our thesis statement and then people would ask questions to help, um, you know, kind of guide what, what students needed to to defend in their speeches. And one of the questions was, well, what do you define as elderly? And the student was like, I don't know, 50? (laughs) And the 60-year-old student's like, dude, I'm 60. I'm sitting right next to you. You want to take away my driver's license? (laughs) Oh, and we laughed so hard. And this student was like 17, 18. He he had befriended this 60-year-old student. He had no idea the guy was 60. I, I don't think he really knew age yet. You know, when you're young, yeah. you don't understand. Um, and it was just such a funny moment. I've thought about it over and over throughout the years. Just what an amazing classroom. And this is the beauty of community college. Like, what an amazing interaction in, in this classroom between adult learners and traditional students and just a 
ability to connect and learn from one another is something that, you know, we don't showcase a lot in our marketing. And I think it's a really beautiful thing about community colleges. So. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's important because you, you just mentioned that we don't showcase that enough. Right. And that was something else that came up. You know, when we talk about messaging, I'm not just thinking about the copy. I'm thinking about the delivery of that message. And this was something that came that's come up in, you know, I've done about four different research projects as part of my master's. So different segments of adult learners, depending on the, on the class. But, you know, the, the thing that came back time and time again was, you know, they see a great message, but if the ad doesn't have students that look like them, they're turned away because once again, it, it reinforces that, that misperception that you have to be young to be successful in college. And so we make a point that if we're gonna talk about family, that we're bringing on an actual student and his or her family for the photo shoot. You know, we're going to feature adult learners in ads that really are targeted at adult learners because that's what they need to see. That's what they want to see. Uh, and that's going to help them see that there are students like me on campus and, and we're showing that. So that's something that always has to be remembered because it can sometimes be overlooked because, you know, in, in my design team, I, my designers are a bit younger than I am. And so, you know, they tend to, this picture looks great. This is a great shot. And sometimes they forget who that audience that the, the ad is for. And, and that can sometimes be a simple overlooked uh, thing that can mean the world to somebody that's looking at that ad because they want to see themselves in that ad and not necessarily somebody who is, you know, 20, 30 years younger than them. Yeah. And that can go a long way in, in just making them feel comfortable uh, in, in, in learning more about that institution. Don't you think it would be so much easier to market like a pizza? <laughs> like we said earlier, like look at all how many different populations and different goals and different services and different programs. I, I think that, you know, community college marketers have to be so sophisticated. I mean, you're not just pushing a pizza. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's really difficult. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and even, you know, we, we work a lot with personas and having our adult learner personas and we're trying to refine those. But even with those those refined personas, we still have to be mindful that that persona doesn't represent everybody in that segment. And so you still have to have this fluidity that comes in what you're doing, because there may be, you know, like I said, when you talk about an adult learner, you're talking about somebody that's that's 25 and older. Yet, you know, I, from my own personal experience, I was 22 with the family going to college. So I considered myself an adult learner. But if somebody was hyper targeting me at that point, I wouldn't see any of the adult learner marketing messaging at that point, because I would still be considered a traditional student. Yet my mindset, my desires, my reasons for wanting to finish were completely aligned with that of the adult learner. So you want to have these sort of starting points when you're talking about adult learners, but you also want to be fluid enough that, that it's not so rigid because you could be missing out upon a segment of the population that could still benefit from that message uh, just because they're a year younger or two uh, or a bit older uh, than, than the end cap might be. Now, I noticed in your paper had, you know, we talk a lot about messaging and we've talked a lot about retention, but you had a lot about tactics your some of your research you had done showed and this is no surprise to anybody listening that 
students, even adult learners, weren't reading the newspaper. Um, were reading magazines, but not that much. Uh, they were also said they weren't paying attention to social media ads. Yeah, so then yeah. I was left like, what are you going to do? What's left? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, I, I think, and this is something that, that we're always trying to, when we, when we, you know, at least when I can, when I do research and even when we do research is, you know, we always have to remember or, or keep in mind that, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the eighties. So when I see an ad, I, I, I think of TV ads, I think of radio ads. And as a marketer, you know, I'm aware of, you know, Facebook ad types, carousel, video in your newsfeed, but the average user isn't. So sometimes when you say, do you pay attention to social media advertising, their mindset or their frame of reference may be completely different than what you're thinking about. And so we always have to keep that in mind because especially in, in social media advertising, it's designed very natively that you don't even know that it's an ad unless you know what to look for. You know, the little sponsored tag uh, or, or just little elements like that, unless it's just a full blown commercial. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like if it looks like an ad, talks like an ad, it's probably an ad. But, you know, nowadays we're trying to be so sophisticated because the consumer knows they're being marketed to. But, you know, with social media, I, I think what the research really showed is that it, it, it speaks to the passive nature of social media advertising where, you know, it's, it's small, subtle, native. It, it, it doesn't overwhelm that person that they don't even realize they're being advertised to. So, you know, people will say, I recall seeing something, but I didn't click on it. But it was enough that was top of mind that it reminded them or nudged them to go to our website. Just because they, they aren't clicking directly or they can't remember it verbatim doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact or that you shouldn't leverage it. But that's, of course, where, you know, your, your insights and your data and your marketing will really tell you how well it's performing or not. But, you know, you speak about newspapers and TV. I think it's important that, that people really do regular media consumption uh, surveys of their students to understand what it is they're, what is it they're watching, what platforms are they on, you know, what do they, do they prefer, how long are they there? Because if you can build this year after year, now you have this sort of insight of what your current students are using. And those current students represent the type of students you want to attract. So it'll give you a, a foundation by which you can sort of build your advertising spend. So, you know, you, you've got to have that to, to understand where they are. But it's also important to think about what existing data sources do you have at your, at your institution? So when thinking about adult learners, you probably at an institution have three, four, five, if not more streams of prospective adult learners that you can target, you know, your stopouts is one. So these are students who have attended your institution and left. If you cross-reference that to a clearinghouse to see if they went elsewhere, you can identify a segment of the population that hasn't gone anywhere after they left you. And if you further refine that by maybe credit hours, academic standing, you'll still have a very nice list of prospective students. Now, you've got to be careful because sometimes when I ask for stopouts at my institution, they'll give me 27 years worth of stopouts. You know, <laughs> I don't need that much. You know, so you want to maybe look back, you know, set some, some initial parameters, see what that audience segment size looks like, and then kind of refine from there. Uh, the other would be your RFIs on the web, your request for information. If you're asking for date of birth as a data match, now you have a great way to identify students that are a certain age range, and maybe they can be filtered to a more adult learner specific uh, recruiter. 
you know, their messaging can be tailored through a CRM that's more relevant to them. You can also even look at past graduates. You know, we offer certificates, which are then stackable to associates, which are stackable to bachelors. So if you have a list of, of certificates, once again, cross-reference with the clearinghouse to see if they win anywhere else, you now have some, 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 some very unique data sources with prospective students. You can also look at your industry partners. Uh, in our region, we have a lot of call centers, T-Mobile, Spectrum, Ticketmaster. Uh, these are places that employ a lot of students, our, our prospective students that are adult learners. They need a job, they pay well, they give them the hours that they need, but they're also looking for, for something more. Uh, school districts is another place. You know, paraprofessionals that maybe need to get an education to move up a step or to move into different positions. So there's all these different industry partners where you may be able to create tailored cohort-driven learning modalities so that way they feel comfortable and confident and you, know, you can kind of get them into your, your institution. And then, of course, you can leverage databases, um, you know, and, and, and this is where you'll purchase lists from vendors for direct mail purposes. But, you know, the challenge that we found with using this is that they primarily only focus on demographics and not a lot about uh, intent. And so this year we started using a, a database that's built on the, the L2 national commercial file. And so L2 is kind of the industry standard uh, in the world of analytics, research, consumer contact. Um, this is the database that, you know, wins people presidential elections that the movie industry uses to determine how to market. So, and, and so there's a company, it's called the, the College App. They use L2. Top of that, they apply uh, predictive analytics to ask questions about college intent affinity towards community colleges. So we're not only able to define very specifically prospective adult learners in our region, but using predictive analytics, we can see how likely they are to pursue a higher education in the next two years and how likely they are to do that at a community college or a trade school. So this really allows us to kind of take direct mail. And, and you can also pull that list for email and apply it to, to digital and social media target audiences. So it really allows us to not only identify that audience, but layer on intent, which is something that we've never been able to do before. I'm sure you don't have a lot of results yet because you just started this, but have you seen any any results from this work or had any good feedback on your efforts? Yeah, well, we, we've, we primarily used it initially for um, our, our two segments. One, now, because it's, it's in the, the, the database is focused on adult learners, like the college app, they really focus on the adult learner population. So you're not going to be able to pull students under 18, but you can tie in family sizes. So we can find individuals who have you know, students that are maybe of high school age. So we actually did two different postcards uh, that we sent out uh, right before the break. And one was focused on prospective adult learners, trying to get them to get enrolled. And then the other was trying to build our, our database for prospective high school students. Because since we don't have face-to-face -face recruitment, how do we get in front of students that we may not 
you know, see on a daily basis like before. So we haven't got the data results yet. We haven't been able to, to kind of run, but just initially you're seeing that that those, you know, when you kind of monitor the baseline of the websites that they're going to, it's, it's kind of flat. And then right around delivery, you do see a, a peak in terms of people visiting the website. So probably by early January, we're gonna run the report to see how many leads, where we're at, visits and tracking. But, you know, it, it, it it gives us a starting point to better refine and to, to better, I guess, to use our direct mail budget a bit more effectively. Other plans that we have for it are going to be to take that and then turn those and, and apply those to social media advertising. So really take those lists, create some custom audiences from them, and then be able to do a better job of, of tweaking and tailoring messaging to, to reach these audiences. So a lot of unique opportunities. We're going to be using it to sort of attract the sort of we're working on another grant that is focused on non-traditional genders. So females into CTE programs, males into nursing. So what's unique about that is that we can also filter by you know, for example, males who have family, males who are single. So that really gives us granular messaging, you know, sort of focusing on the more family role model aspect with one message versus the single that may be focused more on the career opportunities and aspirations. And the same goes on the female side. So, you know, you can really tweak and tailor messaging more specific to, to resonate uh, greater with those segments that you want to reach. So, you know, like I said, we, we, we just started using it this past year, but just the refinement of the lists that we've been able to full pull are far better. You know, it's a higher quality of list as opposed to the quantity. And at this point, that's what we really want to focus on. Well, it sounds like I need to give you about a year and then have you back on the podcast so we can talk all about how that list and those efforts have come to fruition because I see great things from this project. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, and there's just a lot more things that we can do. I mean, some of the opportunities, um, you know, we still leverage out of home. We still do billboards, but, and it's not that I'm not a fan of billboards, but sometimes people just think the billboard is magically going to drive enrollment. But, you know, I could see a point where if you can identify where a large segment of these students maybe live, and if there are billboard or out of home opportunities around those areas, it might make sense to populate or to, to position one of those those uh, billboards in that area. So like I said, the, the opportunities are endless. And, 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 and that's, that's, I think, what excites me the most about it is that it's not just a matter of pulling lists and sending sort of this spray and pray. It's really doing it uh, data-driven and intentful and, and, and can be used in a lot of different projects that aren't just marketing related. So uh, excited to, it's, it's, I've, I've talked about it in a couple of other webinars in the past because I, I see the potential that it can bring uh, you know, to myself as a marketer uh, and to others that find themselves in similar roles and positions. Well, and I just love, I mean, not just with your capstone project, but just, you know, with this example with this other uh, company that you're working with on list generation, I just really admire how you're constantly trying to take a fresh look at data, at your marketing efforts, and you're not just relying on what's always 
been there. I mean, it's it, and that's the that's what's so exciting about being in the communication field is it's constantly changing, evolving. We're learning more about people. We're learning more about intent. We're improving our institutions, and I think you're just a great example of how you can take that kind of entrepreneurial, forward thinking approach to refine and. Uh, get closer to perfecting your marketing strategy. So I always learn something talking to you. Um, and I think we're we're wrapping down on time because I try to keep these podcasts under 50 minutes. And I think we're over, Daniel. We could probably <laughs> talk another couple of hours, <laughs> which means I have to schedule you on again. So let's give it a year and we'll, uh, we'll see how this new um, approach that you're taking is working. But I think I loved your capstone. I, I, if anybody is interested, who's listening, can they contact you? Do you share it? Do you have a handout? Anything that that people could learn uh, more from the research that you conducted? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And it doesn't just have to be on the capstone. If anybody is interested in learning more about, for example, the college app, or maybe just wanting to get a better sense of what we're doing here at, at South Texas College, I, I am always available. Easiest way to reach me is through email. And so it's just D Ramirez, that's D-R-A-M-I-R-E-Z at southtexascollege.edu. And South Texas College is all spelled out edu. I'm, I'm more than happy to, if anybody reaches out to you, Cheryl, and they want to get in contact with me, feel free to, to give them my cell phone, my, my email, uh, because this is some, you know, I, I always tell people I'm, I'm my, my bachelor's is in mathematics. And so how a mathematician fell into marketing is a whole other podcast, but I, I, I am here in large part because somebody took the time to help answer questions and to guide me and to give me insights and always made themselves a available and, and I'm kind I'm constantly picking on people's brains to try to improve myself and 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 for me I love to do the same. So if there's something that I can share, somebody just wants to have a conversation about marketing, I'm always open to those kinds of things because as you mentioned, I will always learn something from someone and hopefully they can learn something from me as well. I also before we wrap up want to congratulate you on finishing your master's degree as an adult learner. And running a large marketing department for a very large college during a pandemic. So <laughs> besides helping other people, I hope you take a couple of minutes to give yourself a pat on the back because it's a it's a great accomplishment. And who knows what's next for you? Maybe it's going to be Dr. Ramirez. <laughs> you know, my wife was telling me that exact same thing. We were we were steaming my gown to take some photos. And she's like, what is a what is a doctorate gown look like? And so I showed her some pictures and she goes, Oh, you'd look really good in those. And I was like, Okay, well, give me a little bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> take a little break, but yeah, we expect it. We expect that's what's next for you. Tell yeah, your wife I, that she I, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's the week between Christmas and New Year's, and I know that you um, are enjoying yourself, and I hope you have a really happy New Year. And thank you again for your time and your invaluable insights. Oh, no, likewise. It's, it's a pleasure and always available whenever you need it. To Thank you for listening to Higher Education Coffee and Conversation. If you like the podcast, please leave me a five-star rating. And to discover more great higher education-related content, make sure to visit us at graduatecommunications.com. And with that, 
I'm going to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the hard work you do for students each and every day.